Good morning, church. I will be reading Matthew 10, 16 through 20. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before the governors um, and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or how you are to, or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for um, your word. Thank you so much for encouragement that the spirit is the one who speaks through us. Lord, be with Chris as the spirit speaks through him. And as he goes and guides us through your word, Lord, help us, help him teach us um, more about you and let the spirit flow through him so that we can know more about you. Lord, continue to guide us and lead us in your heavenly name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. In case you didn't know, David and Maddie are back. They are currently serving in Mason, FBC Mason, youth pastor, associate pastor there. But he's on the Kalea board, and so they were in town, and we're like, hey, come work. All right, so um, it was awesome. But we're, we're so glad to have them here visiting today. And it's a, an example of our discipleship, just seeing the Lord uh, send them out. So praise the Lord uh, for them. And so um, we're jumping in today to an interesting passage because it's really kind of becoming a, a Jesus training session today because we kind of have a mission focus today. If you didn't know, we love missions at Fellowship Church. Even so much, Paul's even in Honduras this morning, right? We love just sending people out. We love seeing God work all around the world in many different ways. So I want you to imagine that you're in a training session with Jesus talking about missions, right? Imagine you've said, yes, I want to go on mission. And remember, remember where we ended last week. Last week we ended in chapter 9 with verse 36 through 38. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Who is the Lord of the harvest? Jesus. So he's like, pray that we'll have more workers. Hey, guys, you're the workers. And so he's fixing to send them out into the harvest in order to, to reap a benefit. So I want you to kind of picture yourself there. Um, I, I don't know if you remember this. Back in the day, anybody have to go to driver's ed class? Remember me? I remember Coach Golson, and I remember like sitting in this room. And so I want you to picture, right? You have this little table in front of you. We had orange carpet, which I don't think was orange to start. I think it just kind of over the years just kind of got grungy, right? And we had a lamp. I just remember a lamp. I don't know why, right? We just had a lamp, and here's Coach Golson. He's teaching us. He's showing us videos like, don't stick your arm out the windows. You remember the bus video, and they would show you in the pork? Yeah. Anyway, scarred, right, for life. But now you guys have it easy, just online. You just get to get, pull up the thing, watch the video, all that good stuff. Back in the day, right, we had to, to go to class every day after school to learn how to drive. I want you to picture that because Jesus has given us a command that we're assuming right now in this room that you have decided to follow Jesus. And if you've decided to follow Jesus, you should be on mission for God. 
Remember, he tells us, he gives us a great commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to deserve all that I have commanded of you. This is the command of God to our life, that wherever we go, we're on mission to make disciples. Wherever we go, we work, we live, we play, we go to school, we do these things. We are about looking around for opportunities to talk about Christ, to have spiritual conversations like Paul was mentioning earlier. Are we willing to step into that discipleship, right? And again, how are we going to do that? Through the help of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will be the one that gives us power, receive power. That's what Acts 1.8 says. We'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And you might be thinking, wait, I, I didn't sign up for missions to go around the world. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe some of you are called in this local context to share the love of Christ. But maybe some of you are called to go overseas. Maybe some of you are called to go on mission with him. So what does it mean for us to be on mission? We're sitting at the table. We've got our yellow pad out, our number two pencil sharpened. Ready to go, all right? So Jesus is going to sit us down. He's going to give us sort of a training session about how we should live. Look what it says in verse 5. So these 12, Jesus sent out instructing them. So here's his instructions to us. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here's your focus. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what he's telling the 12. This is the people group that he wants to, to meet with. Now, we, we can have all kinds of different people groups in our community, over the, everywhere in the world that we could meet. But he's giving them specifically a focus. Here's a focus of how I want you to live and who I want you to talk to. Right? And God has gifted us all differently. We all have different gifts and different abilities in how to reach other people in our context. And some of us, God might use it in incredible ways that we never thought of before. Um, I don't know why I was just on this nostalgic thought process this week, but anybody remember youth choirs? Right? Back in the day, church youth choirs were the thing, right? Instead of having a retreat weekend, guys, you would be in the youth choir. And you would get in a bus and you would travel around. You would sing at different churches, performing. Well, we decided to have a fundraiser at our church. We had a dinner theater, right? We cooked dinner and then we had a musical performance. And so I was instructed to sing a solo. <laughs> yes. Now, you notice that I don't get to sing on stage anymore, right? Because when you're a youth, they let you be bad, and it's okay, right? But I had a song, and this is my song, I Don't Want to Go to Africa. That was the name of my song because it was about this kid who didn't want to surrender to missions because he didn't want to leave the comforts of his home and go to Africa. Oh, how the tune has changed, <laughs> right? Oh, how I changed the word to that song. Like, I can't wait to go to Africa because when we went to Africa, we have Paul and Deborah, who we love dearly. By the way, Paul is one of the most faithful online watchers every week from Tanzania, watching our service, being a part of our church. I think about these kids at the school that we went to, Levis and Noah and Elijah and all Barack and all these kids that we had a chance to minister. I think about Paul, our driver. Can't wait to see him. Thomas and Duncan. You have these names of these people who, who have poured out their heart for the glory of Christ, and you have this connection with them. Oh, I can't wait to go back. Can't wait to go and visit and see how God is working in their life. God has given us a calling to be on mission for him. Then he says this. Here's the message in verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the kingdom of heaven is here. In other words, he's going to the lost sheep of Israel saying, the bridegroom is here. 
Jesus is here, the king, the Messiah. He's here, and he's bringing his kingdom with them. Now, remember, they had this cut-out model of who they thought Jesus should be. This military leader setting them free, giving them the comfort and the security and the peace of a life without suffering, a life without oppression. That's what they were asking for. Yet Jesus came in the mold that God had cut out for him to set us free of sin, to free us from sin and death and to change us from the inside to go out. And this question came to my mind this week. Would you rather have peace, comfort, security, or rather have an inner peace? It's a good question, isn't it? Maybe I could phrase it this way. Would you like for God to give you a happy, easy life, even if it meant you didn't get to know God? Even if it meant, and I'm not even talking about going to hell or having a, an eternity of separation. In your walk with Christ, are you just satisfied? You know what? I think I, got, I know God enough now. I've read the Bible a few times. I'm good. Or is it every day we have the desire to grow in a depth and a, and a love for Jesus Christ? Would, would you trade it if you could just have happy and easy? So, some, some churches might, might promise that. Except Jesus is going to be easy. But when you, when you read this passage, this is not a pep talk. Right? This is Jesus giving you the reality of what it means to live on mission. Because listen, outer ease does not develop character. All right, outer, outer ease, having things easy in you, that causes us to be spoiled, doesn't it? It causes us to take things for granted. When actually struggle many times develops our character. I look at Romans chapter 5. You've probably heard me quote this many times, but I want to give you the context of it, okay? Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 5 of the book of Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Right? It's about us putting our faith in Jesus. When we say, have you decided to follow Jesus? We're saying, have you put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, his kingdom come, right? Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! So through our faith, we can have peace. And through him, we also have obtained access by faith into grace. Woo! Can anybody use some grace? You know, this week, um, my wife sent a podcast out to a few people, and the podcast was about our marriage, right? Maybe not our marriage, but it was about marriage, and, and it was titled, like, Grace Marriage. I was like, hmm, why'd she send that out this week? Hmm. And the podcast was all about, what if we, as a husband and wife, were to always show grace to our partner? That, in other words, the, the challenge in that podcast was this. It was the idea that if you have your happiness and your day ruined by your spouse, you put too much trust in them instead of putting your trust completely in Jesus. And that as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be outpouring grace upon grace for our spouse. So if that got tested, if, if Tara had done something that I was like, oh, man, I was just, oh, feeling that thing. No, am I going to be like Christ and show her the grace that she deserves in Christ Jesus? So again, we have access to this through faith in Christ. We can't do it on our own strength. It can only come because Christ forgave us. We forgive those in our life. It starts with our wife and our kids and the people around us. Then anybody says this next. The grace in which we stand, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? Then he says something that gets real really quick. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. 
Do you rejoice in your sufferings? Like, think back. Remember, remember when you first learned how to drive? How many of you guys over here know how to drive already? A few of you? Okay, awesome. Remember the first time that you're learning how to drive? You're in the parking lot, right? You're like, oh, there's like poles in the middle of the parking lot. You're like, oh, you steer away from them, right? But you get a little more confidence, so then you go on the road, and sometimes you're like going like creeping along, right? And you, you, you actually stop at stop signs. It's pretty amazing, right? That's what that means. And then you like forget to slow down quite f- slow enough to make that turn, and you kind of learn, you know, hit the curb here and there. But then do you remember getting on the highway? Right, you're getting on the highway and you're like just creeping along and everybody's going so fast and there's that, that fear that comes up, right? So you learn how to have grace in, in relationships. You learn how to have faith. Do You learn how to have joy in suffering. This is when you really learn how to be like Christ. Here's why. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this process, suffering, produces endurance, which then produces character, which then produces hope, which hope does not put us to shame. Hope destroys shame. So if you struggle with shame, man, leave that behind. That's a tool of the enemy. Have hope in God. So suffering, endurance, character, hope. This is the process of that inner character being more and more like Christ. Here's something else that's interesting. Outer ease does not develop deep relationships. If you want to have a deep relationship, walk through trials together. Walk through hard things together. This is where depth of relationship comes. Remember there's a verse, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all time, but a brother is born for adversity. That a friend loves you, but there's something about this relationship with Christ that can go deeper. That can help you make it through the trials. So we're ready to walk through that when we're on this mission with God. And we're going to see why as he continues to describe it through this process and through this passage. Look at verse 8. What are we to do when we're on mission? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. And as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that town or house. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Saying that when the power of God comes to a place and they see the power and they still reject it, it's even worse than the judgment that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah where they didn't get to see the work of God. They just gave into their depravity. Now you see God at work and we have to make a choice. Who are we going to choose to follow? And so we're supposed to, as believers, meet the needs of those that are around, right? He's meeting the needs of the hurting, the sick, those are there. But don't let people take advantage of you. We don't do it for personal gain. We don't do it to gain something from it. And that's a good way to tell if someone's doing it for them or someone's doing it for the glory of the Lord. And yet... Too many times people take advantage of that. And it's such a hard thing to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. And he tells us here, 
decide who, if they're worthy. Now, what does that mean, this idea of worthy, right? It's this idea of if they're having weight or they're befitting or this word congruent comes up, right? Of course, being a math nerd, I love the word congruent, right? It's that equal sign with the squiggly over it. It's meaning that it's in the same shape and the same size. So making sure that you have the same values and those values are in equal amounts, that when you go to a place and begin to build relationships and build discipleship and build those things, be sure that those people that are valuing the same things that you value. That's what he's encouraging us to do. When they do, we let our peace fall upon that place. We bless them. We encourage them. So then he says this in verse 16, he, this, what David started reading with us before. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now listen, this is not a pep talk. Because listen, he's sending us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You know, there's not a sports team that has sheep as their mascot, is there? Like, sheep are not fierce. Like, look, if this soccer team had a logo, would you be like, oh, grizzlies versus the sheep? It just doesn't spark it. Now, listen, I know there are the rams, right? There's different schools that are the rams that are out there. But it doesn't say be a ram in the midst of wolves, like slamming into people and like just trying to knock people over and all that. We're like sheep, right? Even when they try to make a logo for a team that looks tough, right, like this next one, it doesn't look tough. It doesn't look so cute. Like when you see that, you're like, ooh, huggy, right? It just like makes you feel like, oh, I want to hang out with that. When you see a grizzly or a wolf, you're not like, oh, let me cuddle, right? This is like, oh, this doesn't look fierce. It's trying to look fierce, isn't it? It's trying to look mean. It just, yeah, can't turn. And here's the thing about sheep. Sheep are not smart. They're just not, right? Sheep, they're not fast. They're just not fast. Sheep, they have no defense, no way to defend themselves. They're just sheep, right? But that makes them fully dependent on the shepherd, fully dependent on the shepherd to protect them, to lead them, to guide them. Oh, what a picture of us. See, we think we're smart sometimes. We think we've got it all figured out. We think we're tough. Ultimately, he calls us his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. So if we want to be safe, we've got to cuddle up to the shepherd. He is our only protection. Our life depends on him wherever he leads us, however he protects us. We're like sheep going in the midst of wolves. That's what it means to go on mission. That you're going out into a world full of wolves. And when you think about wolves, wolves are scary. Wolves are different, right? When you think about the way that wolves, like, even look, when they smile at you, they still look a little evil. They still look like, yeah, what are you thinking about right there, right? Like, hi, come on over, little Red Riding Hood, right? We just have this, like, picture of them as being fierce. And what's so interesting about wolves, how do wolves hunt in packs, they hunt in a pack. A group begins to, to go around and they begin to stalk a, a herd of whatever it might be. Right? Like, let's say it is a, a sheep that they're, they're stalking, which remember we were warned about wolves in sheep's clothing earlier, right? They're cunning. They're, they, they like to get in there. But anyway, um, they look at, at a herd and they look for the weakness. 
They try to find where's the weak link, and then they start to create panic, right? They go around and begin to bark. They begin to surround and begin to create panic for the flock until they go to an area that's advantageous for them to attack. And then how do they attack? They surround, distract, and attack, right? They surround on all sides. One will feign an attack, and then as you turn towards it, boom, they get you in the back. This is the enemy. This is the way the enemy plays he surrounds us with all of these things, all of these shiny, ooh, shiny, fiery dart in the back. Because you notice when we talk about the armor of God, there's no armor in the back. We have the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. But when we begin to get distracted, we open ourselves up to the attacks of the enemy, and he attacks us. And one at a time, as we turn for that one, here comes another one. Instead, we've got to stay close to the shepherd. We can't let ourselves become isolated away from the pack. All of a sudden, we open ourselves up to the attack of the enemy. He says, I'm sending you out as a sheep in the midst of wolves. And he gives us two examples of how we're supposed to be. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, when you hear wise as serpents, you go, that doesn't feel good, does it? Like, be wise as serpents. You're like, serpents? Did you know Genesis 3, don't you remember? He was more crafty than all the other animals, right? We have this this idea in our mind. Wisdom can either be used for good or it can be used to be crafty, right? You begin to to trick and to manipulate and to do things. That's being crafty. When actually what God is calling us to, he's calling us to be wise, to be wise, to use our gifts for good not for evil. The same word, the same idea, the same word that's used in Genesis 3 for crafty is also used in the book of Proverbs. In Proverbs 14, it gives us two examples of this word crafty used in Genesis, used in a positive manner. Look what it says in verse 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to discern his way, but the folly of fools is deceiving. That as the prudent, being wise, we're supposed to discern our way. Look at verse 15. Same chapter gives us a similar encouragement. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And when we begin to take our steps, we take them with wisdom, with a, with a goal in mind, with a purposeful gait in order to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ. That's the way that we walk. We don't just like, oh, yeah, let's go over here. Oh, tomorrow, let's go over here. And we just kind of wander around wherever the flow of the culture takes us. Instead, we stay on the straight and the narrow. Remember the Sermon on the Mount. Wide is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And we want to follow this narrow path. And so in these next few verses, right, because he tells us, be innocent as doves. You're like these sheep. Aren't doves so beautiful? They seem calm. And to me, they're not scary. Some of y'all might be scared of birds, but they don't seem scary. They have this nice coo. They're like, oh, they're kind of covered. Makes you think of the Holy Spirit coming down, right? But he's going to warn us about these wolves in these next few verses, right? The rest of this kind of 17 down through 25 is all going to be about these wolves. And then he's going to give us an encouragement as we are living among them. Verse 17, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Beware of those that are violent. Beware of those that use the religion for their own purposes, right? They're flogging them in the synagogues. 
Beware of those that are going to use the courts and the government in order to pay back people. That's the warning that we get here. Have we not seen this in Jesus' life? He's dragged before King Herod. He's dragged before Pontius Pilate. They use the system against him in order to cause his death and his crucifixion. We see this in Paul before King Agrippa, between these governors. We see all these things he's being dragged before. It's a common pattern for those that follow the Lord. But he encourages us in verse 19. But then, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For not, it is not you who will speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Ooh, isn't that good? Don't be anxious. Don't let fear and anxiousness be a dominant emotion in your life. If you have a life of stress and, and anxiety, that's not of the Lord. Trust him that when you get in that situation, you don't know what to do and you don't know what to say, God will speak through you. The Holy Spirit will be the one to give you the thing to say in that moment. That's what he's encouraging us to do when we live on mission. Look at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Woo! When you sign up to go on mission for Jesus, sometimes people are not going to approve of you. Some people are going to look at you and they're going to say, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. And it doesn't matter how much you have loved them, how much you have cried with them or given them or supported them. There's times they're going to deem you unworthy. But again, who is your trust and your worth found in? Is it found in others or is it found in your relationship with the Lord? And this is an interesting thing for us to think about because he encourages us in the rest of this verse. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Suffering, endurance, character, and hope, and hope leads to our salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Then he says this in verse 23. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, you know how I like to point out controversies and things that happen, verses that people in the world try to use to like show that Christianity is false. This is one of the verses that people will try to point out and say, see, the Bible's not inerrant, that this is not right. So look down at this verse again, verse 23. It says, you'll go through all the towns in Israel, or you won't go through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does this term, before the Son of Man, mean, right? What, what is that referring to? Um, and so there's really four choices for us to choose, right? There's kind of a list of four. Here's the first idea. Does this coming of the Son of Man refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ? Now, I would rate that R for rejected. Most of scholars today say that's not what this verse is talking about. It's not talking about the second return of Christ. Otherwise, is there like a town in Israel we missed? Is there like one town, and if we finally get that town, that triggers the, the second coming of Christ? So most people say that's not what's being referred to here. The, the second one is this, that it refers to Christ rising from the grave, the resurrection of Christ. That when Christ died and was resurrected, he had victory over sin, and he transferred from being the son of man to truly showing that he was the son of God. That one's ready to see for compelling. Right? That's, I think that's a great answer. That's a great 
option for this, that before the Son of Man comes, he returns and in his glory, showing that he was the one that conquered sin. I think that's pretty compelling. There's another one, though, talks about the Holy Spirit, that when he refers to the, second, the return of, of the Son of Man, he, he comes, he's referring to the Holy Spirit. But D for doubtful. This one doesn't make sense. Pentecost is an amazing event, but doesn't have much reference to here. And the last one, which I think is slightly more compelling, is that this term, the judgment of the Son of Man, has to do with the rejection of Israel and the grafting in of the Gentiles. Because Son of Man in the book of Daniel talks a lot about kingdoms being exchanged. And also there's another interesting verse. If you go to Luke chapter 21... See if, when I read this passage out of this Olivet Discourse, see if you see any similarities to the passage we've been reading through Matthew chapter 10. Look what it says in verse 12 of of Luke 21. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to the prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness." Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by brothers and by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will even put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. Is there any similarities there? Parents, don't worry about what you will say. And then verse 20 says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that its desolation has come near. So people will point to that 70 AD event of this destruction of the temple and this ushering in of the time of the Gentiles and church being born. People will point to that. Whether it's the return of Christ in the resurrection or whether it's this transfer of the judgment of the Israelites, either way, I think there's great answers to what this before the Son of Man comes could possibly mean. So now you have, you have some options to choose from whenever someone asks you about this verse. Look what it says in verse 24. Here's an encouragement for us. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. Listen, you don't have to be Jesus. It's good enough for us to be like him. You don't have the pressure of like, oh, if I, if I, if I don't do this right, I'm going to push him away from the kingdom of God. Salvation, salvation comes for Christ alone. We're just his ambassadors to the world. So don't feel that pressure to be perfect in everything that you do. Just try to be like Christ one degree at a time. Then it says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? There are people in the world who will speak evil of you. They'll malign you. They'll slander you if you want to be on fire for Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised. See, I told you, it's not a pep talk. It's just reality of what it means to live for Christ. Look at verse 26. So have no fear of them. Live without fear. Do not be afraid. Right? Walk. Be courageous in the way that we walk. And so what he's going to do next in this final section, what we're going to kind of close out with, is he's going to give us the things that we oftentimes fear, and he's going to address those things. For example, how many of us fear our junk coming into the light? Eh, if they really knew all this stuff about me, would they still love me? And he addresses that here. 
He says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And we're supposed to be so bold. We're proclaiming the things of Christ. And even if things are revealed, we have no fear of that. Here's another thing we fear. Oftentimes we fear death. And he's going to address that in this next passage. Remember we just sang, if I live, I'm living for you. If I die, I'm dying for you. Lord, let it be whatever you choose, right? And here's what he says. And do not fear those who kill the body. They cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whew. I mean, do you hear what he's saying? Like, listen, don't fear. The worst they can do is kill you. Right. Did you mean to phrase it that way? Is that exactly what you meant to say? It's like, yes. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Right, and that's what he's saying. He's challenging us here. Like, do we care so much about our life that we're scared to live for him? That means that we don't have the proper fear of God, the one who can give us eternal life or eternal damnation in hell. Where's our faith? Is our faith in us or is our faith in him as Lord and Savior? Here's another fear that we have many times. How many people fear the feeling of worthlessness? How many of us fear being forgotten? No one remember. No one thinks I'm worth anything. They don't think I'm worthy. Look what it says in verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You have value in Christ. The world maybe says you have no value, but in Christ you are loved and you are valued by him. Here's the last thing that he mentions in this verse. Maybe we fear judgment. Maybe we fear and we doubt, am what I'm living for, is it real? This straight and narrow path, when I get before God, is he going to see my name written in that book of life? Have I really put my faith and my trust in Jesus? Here's what he says. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. How are you when it comes to speaking about Jesus? Are you bold? Be courageous. Have courage. Do not fear. Remember what Joshua said, Joshua 1.9, right? He told us, be strong and courageous. That, that's the challenge that he gives to the people, right? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Do you believe that? That God is with us wherever we go? Do you remember the end of where we started? Go and make disciples of all nations. you remember what the end of that? And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That if Christ is walking with us, who can stand against us? We have the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's our good shepherd. So even though we're sheep going in the midst of wolves, we have the good shepherd on our side. Let's stay close to him. Let's be bold for him. Let's not fear death. Let's live with purpose in him. All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the purpose that we find in being on mission for you. Lord, give us an opportunity this week to live for you, to acknowledge your name before others, to speak boldly about the name of Jesus Christ, and to give a picture of the gospel both through our life and through our words this week. Lord, we are saved by grace through faith. 
Lord, help us to live that way this week, Lord. If there's someone here who hasn't put their trust in you, Lord, I pray that they'll tell someone. They'll be bold. They'll acknowledge you before men and tell someone about it so that we can truly um, guide them and disciple them in what it means to truly follow Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for the encouragement from your word, from helping us to know what it means to live on mission for you. We pray this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, church. Hey, we are so glad that you chose to worship with us today. And please be patient with my voice. As Chris said, we had an amazing retreat this weekend. I'm so stinking proud of these students, but my voice is going away after that. And so we're, we had a really great time. And by the way, this is terracotta. That's the color. The official color is terracotta, which I would have never guessed that, but I helped order the t-shirts, so I have the knowledge. Um, but hey, church, we're so glad that you're here. And as we, or before we send you out, before you go on mission, back out into the world. Uh, we want to remind you of a few things we have going on at our church um, here. Um, we have our women's mini conference, November 10th and 11th. That is a retreat that you should go to. You should, you'll have fun. You'll lose your voice. It'll be a great time. Um, but we hope that if you're a woman and you want to join us for that conference, that you would sign up. There's a place to sign up right out in the lobby. You can get information. Um, that weekend's going to be great. And so we want to encourage you to sign up for that and, and join us because it's going to be awesome. Uh, we also have our annual church banquet coming up November 5th. That is next Sunday. Uh, church, register for that because it's going to be great. We're going to feed you. We're going we're gonna to fill you in on, like, what this last year has been like and what this next year is going to be like. And we're really, really excited. You're going to hear from your pastors. You're going to hear from us. We're really excited about that. And so make sure you register for that. It's going to be great. Um, and, of course, Kulea is outside. We, we hope that if you're even remotely interested in that ministry, and I pray that you are, that you would stop by their table, that you would get information because, man, what, what an amazing thing um, that God's doing over there. Um, and I'm so glad that our church supports them and that God's using us. But church, we love you. And as you're sent, we want to leave you with this verse. Luke 12, 12 says this, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Church, when those hours come upon you this week, know that the Spirit is with you. We love you. You're sent.